Hello, and welcome to Mindful You at Naropa, a podcast presented by Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. I'm your host, David Devine, and it's a pleasure to welcome you. Joining the best of Eastern and Western educational traditions, Naropa is the birthplace of the modern mindfulness movement. Hello, today I'd like to welcome Olivia Mickle to the podcast. She is an adjunct faculty member in the Interdisciplinary Studies program, teaching intro, gender, and women's studies. And she is also a host on the podcast, What's Her Name? Dedicated to women's history and women's voices. Yes, yeah. Awesome. So thanks for coming in today. No, thanks for having me. It's fun. Anything else you'd like to just mention about yourself? Yeah, I teach here in the Interdisciplinary Studies Department. I teach Intro to Gender Studies, Gender and Women's Studies, which mm-hmm. is really a fun class to teach. I yeah. love I love the intro classes because you get to sort of do everything. And yeah. it's, it's beautiful and painful trying to decide where to go and what to leave mm. out because you just want to start talking about everything. It's really fun to sort of just blow everybody's minds every week with yeah new information that they've never really thought about mm. um, about the world that they thought they knew. Yeah. I'm also seeing this relationship between the podcast and your teaching. So yeah, definitely. How do the, they inform each other? Yeah. They, I think probably the two sides of what I feel is my mission to huh. get more awareness of women's issues, women's voices, women's history, mm. women's studies, that we still are so far behind on knowing what we should know yeah. about the history of women in the world and the mm. contributions of women and also just the lived experience of women and the way that it informs everything about the way our country operates now, mm. the way the world runs now. Mm-hmm. And I really just, when my sister and I, the co-host of the podcast is my sister, who's a history professor. Yeah. So she's the history and I'm the women's studies. And together mm. we can sort of make this really nice balance between those two things. And when we were talking about how we wanted to do, you know, what kind of a project we wanted to do, we both mm-hmm. were really committed to doing something to further women's voices in the world. Yeah. And a podcast just seemed like a really good way to do it because mm. it's accessible. You can go lots of different directions with it. Yeah. You know, that we'll have 20th century jazz musician and a 16th century mm-hmm. philosopher mm-hmm. in two weeks. Those are the two I listen to. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> Who was it? Mary Lou Williams? Mary the Lou mu- Williams. Musician? Yes. Mary Lou Williams, yeah. the vastly underappreciated inventor of modern jazz. Yeah. And she played like bebop and yeah, hip hop. Yeah. She was there. Gospel. Yeah, she was she doing did it all. Everything. Mm-hmm. And she sort of created everything. I mean, she was there. Yeah. She should be listed among the inventors of bebop. She should be names yep. that people know, you know, Miles Davis and Charlie Parker mm-hmm. and Dizzy Gillespie and Mary Lou Williams. Those should be the yep. ones we're talking about. And we don't, we just don't know her. And she yeah. was really foundational and here in you jazz are, music. Spreading the love and the Yeah, word. that's that's yes. the goal. We yeah. want <laughs> we want more people to to learn these incredible women who have really shaped mm. the world that we live in and don't get any credit but also just yeah that it it sort of i think cheapens our understanding of what it takes to create a culture when we're leaving out half of the people who helped yeah it turns out like half the population is women isn't it yeah i mean it's amazing that that maybe 
Maybe yeah. everyone has contributed to this culture. Totally. <laughs> well, I really appreciate your work, and I I feel like it's very important at this time. So I'd like to just you know say that to you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So. When it comes to teaching a contemplative class and intro to gender and women's studies, like how do you approach that? What do you teach? How do you teach it? How is uh, contemplativeness informing the class? Things like that. Yeah, that's one of the things I, I find really interesting, actually. I didn't know a lot about contemplative education mm-hmm. until fairly recently. And when I started looking into it and researching it, I just kept thinking, well, this is just women's studies. I don't think huh. that you could teach a gender studies class effectively any way but mm-hmm. contemplatively. And I think that all of the sort of best practices of contemplative education are what make gender studies mm. unique and also make it possible. Yeah. If you're approaching this from a lecture standpoint or from a I'm the expert in the room standpoint or even... Mm-hmm from anything other than just really being very aware of your students, being invested in them, not just intellectually, but emotionally, it's not going to succeed as a class, especially an intro class. You're doing so much hard work. You're doing hard emotional work. You are breaking into Mm. traumas. (laughs) I mean, I try to make it very clear in class, like, I am not a therapist. I'm Mm. happy to talk to you. I think women's studies professors sort of know that we're going to be doing a lot of emotional labor Mm. with our students, which is also fodder for the class discussion about women doing emotional labor. Why do you think that is? Well, I think part just the content of the class is really Mm. difficult. That when you're pointing out to people the oppression that they're internalizing and and not even realizing is happening, that's always upsetting. But also a lot of the subject material deals in real traumas, in mm. violence, in past experiences that maybe yeah. are really upsetting and really do need therapists involved. And that's mm. why I love teaching at Naropa because I do have, yeah. like I know that I can always just say, and there are actual therapists here uh-huh. right on campus that can help you if this is above my pay grade, yeah. um, that I can do some of the work of working through things that are coming up as you're realizing, oh, Mm. that thing that happened to me seven years ago, that wasn't okay. But that at the moment when it reaches where I'm not comfortable helping students through that anymore, that I always have that resource. Yeah. And we do have counseling centers on Yeah, that I can I actually just interviewed Joy Reston not too long ago. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, you know, it really is a reassuring thing to have in your Mm. back pocket as a women's studies teacher because... You are dredging up a lot of upsetting memories sometimes, a lot of upsetting content that Mm. people have either put away or never really thought about. And then even just recognizing the terrible state of everything. (laughs) Like, you know, we kind of, I try to to alternate weeks between like everything is horrible and, but here's some fun things as well, because it it can get really heavy really fast. Mm -hmm. And I warn students, Mm. you're going to be angry a lot taking this class and you need to make sure you're doing your self-care, but you also need to make sure you're not letting this explode out on all the people in your life who are not responsible for the patriarchy. (laughs) What what feels important too is the fact that you are becoming aware of the information, you're soaking it in as an individual into your being, and then then from there you can radiate the goodness of it, you know, because there is a lot of information that you might not be able to swallow, but it's our responsibility as humans and individuals to filter 
the information, the external information into the internal. Mm -hmm. And then we get to show it outwardly. So like from there, it seems like the good work. And, and I was also thinking you may not be a therapist, but there is therapy happening. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Cause there yeah. is a lot of emotional situations being played out and other sort of yeah. things being worked out and things you might not even notice. And all of a sudden you're just like, crap, what was that? Yeah. And being a good women's studies instructor involves a lot of awareness of your student's emotional state that yeah. that you have to be completely tuned into everyone in the room if you, you can't just be up there talking because someone out of your line <clears throat> of sight might be close to a breakdown and you yeah. need to know mm -hmm. if you need to pull back on something mm. come back around i mean i think especially that's contemplative yeah it, being it, insightful holding a container like understanding the class dynamics yeah exactly there you go. and even especially like specific practices i think yeah. that just intuitively i have done as a women's studies professor not realizing the sort of theory <laughs> behind them like the pause you know that you ask the question and you pause you know i, I think it was richard brown that was on yep. the podcast talking yep. about that and i, I was sure nodding did. along going yep that's so important yeah. because especially with really personal material, you have to give people space to think through if they can answer, Yep. if they can answer safely and healthily, and then how much of that answer they're willing to mm -hmm. share with a public space. Yeah. Yeah. And Richard was talking about how the space allows people who normally don't answer questions yeah. to arise to their own answers. And yeah. some of those answers are extremely intelligent and hold a lot of weight within the class and are relevant to the topic. So he's discovering more students can come out of their mind and come into the classroom. So holding space and pausing and just being available and not like, oh, no, I only have 10 more minutes yeah. to talk about this 45 minute subject right you know what i mean so and it does happen too i mean i think i said that yesterday yeah. in the past. there's so much to cover i really want to dig into this but we have to move on <laughs> but yeah and so holding that balance is really hard too of mm -hmm. because it's an intro class and because you could talk about literally everything yep. that curating in the moment how much of this material i almost always come in with too much material mm. on purpose because yeah. as you are doing this contemplative awareness of the classroom there might be something that you really intended to talk about that you become very aware is not yeah. wise to talk about right now that people need to pause mm -hmm. that they need to process what they've heard and mm -hmm. they can't move on to this next thing yeah then the skillful freestyle can come out because mm -hmm. then you have availability to go in any direction you want and you are there ready to do that exactly so you can say nope not we'll skip this for next week yeah. and we'll move into this much lighter topic that everyone can mm -hmm. have a break yeah it seems like you're a inspirational spark you know what i mean because the intro class it, there's so much you can talk about there's so many different directions you mm -hmm. can go but you get to be the person to spark an interest in someone so if someone's actually interested then they get to follow that interest exactly. and follow that further and then not take the intro class and take the next class above that kind of yeah. dive deeper into their passion so yeah exactly and that's you know that's one of my i think notorious for constantly saying there's so much more to know about this if this is your jam I send out extra reading lists. The students, you know, I'm just mentioning things in passing this article yeah. and that article. And they're always like, wait, what? Writing it all down. I said, I will send a list at the end of class of all the things I touched on that you mm -hmm. didn't have to read in case you want to. <laughs> yeah. But don't feel guilty because there is also this, I should read mm -hmm. everything. And you're, you're starting. This is your first mm -hmm. class. You've got a long time to yeah. learn 
all of feminism. <laughs> yeah. And because it's overwhelming, because it is heavy and sometimes really dark mm-hmm. and sometimes incredibly disheartening, yeah. that choosing the things that work for you, that matter to you, becomes even more important. Mm. You know, there are 4,000 ways to go out of every single class of a women's studies class or a gender Mm -hmm. studies class and that empowering students to find the piece that spoke to them and let them go there is a really important way to enable self-care that people can self-select which of these readings is the least harmful to me right now Mm -hmm. but also you know which one might challenge me and push me into something that I hadn't thought of and might really change I think I'm a literature, like I'm a literature scholar by training, and but I love women's studies because you get instant gratification. Mm. I mean, I firmly believe in the power of literature to change the world. Mm. But yep. when you're teaching <laughs> women's studies, you get to watch it happen in your classroom in front Ooh. of you, and I really enjoy that. Yeah. So also just selfishly, women's studies is more fun to teach because just for even for myself, when I think back to like pieces of literature that changed my life, I didn't know they changed my life for 11 years. And it mm. was only in retrospect that I think, oh, that's why I think this thing or learned that thing or yeah. feel this way. Yeah. But my women's studies classes, I mean, there is a lot of that too, but I can also identify mm-hmm. in that moment, I realized this fact about my life. Yeah. And so it's a fun instant gratification classroom. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you just have all these like different uh, skills and interests that kind of inform each other. Yeah. Like. And, and I think that's what is fun about it too, is it, it's heavy, but it also has a wild variety. And so yeah. if one week really isn't interesting to you, the next week is going to be that mm-hmm. you're not stuck in a class on Russian literature and three weeks in you go, oh, I really hate Russian literature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that something is always going to be coming up that will speak yeah. to you in every class period. There's going to be yeah. something. And also just to speak to, just because a class may have some heavy information and mm-hmm. some heavy content and emotionally strike you and kind of put you in a funny place Mm -hmm. of reflection at Naropa I cried I cried Mm -hmm. a lot (laughs) there was a lot of heart opening moments and to be honest those are some of my best favorite moments of when I was just like wow yeah this is a moment right here I will always remember this for the rest of my life and I'm very thankful to be shown this and you know just crying it out yeah there's a lot of crying (laughs) Unlike baseball, there's lots of crying in women's studies. Oh, I see what you Um, did there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that Mm. you can sort of find ways to apply whatever you're learning to whatever field you're in. You know, my goal is that no matter what field, especially in interdisciplinary studies, you know, another aspect of if you're teaching an upper division lit class, you mostly have English majors. And Mm -hmm. so they're all coming with similar backgrounds and interests and knowledge bases. And in an interdisciplinary studies class, you might have three dance therapists and two religious studies and Mm. a few scientists. And, you know, you have all of these different perspectives. And so the conversations are much richer. Mm. They're much more unexpected. I never know where my students are going to go with something that I might have this plan of here's mostly what we're going to talk about. And at the end of the Mm -hmm. class, I'm throwing my notes away and going, wow, that was a great class. We got through nothing that I had written down. (laughs) And that's my goal. You know, I think my goal, especially in a gender studies class, my goal as a teacher is for my students to forget I'm in the room. Like I would like to not participate. Facilitator. Yes. I think my job is to 
get them to a state and a relationship with one another as a class mm-hmm. where they can carry on the entire conversation yeah. with occasional redirects from me mm-hmm. and that I don't talk for an hour. That's my goal. If that happens by the end of the semester, <laughs> I feel like, okay, I have really succeeded yeah. because teaching is such a performative mm. subject and that's why so many teachers are drawn to it. I I personally know I, re- I had a realization a few years ago when I was sort of going through a plan your life book that I was, you know, how can you design your life to be perfect for you? I suddenly had this sort of embarrassing but really freeing realization that the thing I love the most about teaching is attention. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's sad, also not shocking. On the subject or on you? On me. Okay. <laughs> I like... Just to clarify. I like standing in front of a room mm-hmm. and people thinking I'm smart. And it was embarrassing. And, you know, it, like you want to think that you have this nobler purpose than that. And I do. I mean, I, I yeah. love changing lives and making people into... That they can have a better life. They can yeah. feel better about mm-hmm. their experience. But also, I just really like people looking at me. And, <laughs> and it's not shocking. I was a theater kid. You know, uh-huh. this is, I really like performing. Yeah. And so that comes in pretty strong conflict with my teaching philosophy, which does say that almost never is the hmm. showboating teacher doing the best job. Yeah. You know, that if your students are doing <clears throat> hero worship and you are the rock star, mm-hmm. you're probably shortchanging your students. Yeah. Because it's not about you, it mm-hmm. shouldn't be about you. Unless you're a famous author doing a visiting scholar, then then yes, fine, mm-hmm. be about you. But yeah, but especially in a gender studies class, that totally. that the students need to be doing the work and not mm-hmm. you explaining it to them. Yeah, it seems like it's about the information and how we channel it. Yeah, and and letting the classroom organism decide what this information mm-hmm. means for the people in this classroom. That yeah. the exact same theory reading they might come to a completely different conclusion mm. than next semester's class will. And letting that be valid and letting that sit in a space of individual learning, but also, you know, I was just, last week we were talking about holons and the concept that <laughs> these collective organisms are made up of all the people in the room. And if if a different person is in the room, we might have a completely different experience of this class. And so yeah. letting that sort of really organic in the biological sense, an organic mm-hmm. process of this organism that is this particular classroom yeah. do the work of the input that they're getting this, this mm-hmm. week. Yeah. Um, one thing I was thinking about was intro to gender and women's studies is a class you teach. That inherently is interdisciplinary because when you're focusing on many different women throughout history, Mm -hmm. their stories, their struggles, their triumphs, everything they've done. Mm -hmm. There's so many different like science, music, philosophy, economics, banking, like whatever it may be, uh, astronomy, mathematics. There's so many different avenues the mind can take. Right. So that's interdisciplinary. Yeah. The fact that you're focusing on people who have spectrum of ideas Mm -hmm. of directions they go in yeah and that's why that same variety that makes the podcast fun makes the class fun that just Mm -hmm. makes the subject inherently fun that that you can literally go anywhere because yeah gender has been everywhere and we can you know that the history of the world is the history of humans trying to figure out how to deal with gender um and what what Mm. we even mean by that and Mm. it's 
always applicable. Like I tried to think of a subject that you couldn't talk about from a gender studies perspective. And there might be some, but I really can't think of any, you know, and sometimes students are like, well, finance and I, and I laugh and think oh what? there's like seven hours come on come on <laughs> let's Let, talk about poverty as gendered let's talk about you know that that yeah. everything we do yeah especially in western American construct mm-hmm. is so strongly filtered through this dual gender yep. idea that we have and through these really rigid boxes that we keep people in mm-hmm. uh, and that the harm that that does to the way we think about the world and the harm that it does just that as long as we are preventing people from doing something that they might be brilliant at, we're losing as a society. You know, if we are preventing this whole category of people Mm -hmm. from being scientists, we are missing out on life-changing, groundbreaking, Nobel Prize-winning scientists because there are some in there. Yep. And they'll be janitors or they'll be bakers or that you know they'll won't get to do the thing that they loved Mm -hmm. and also missing out on groundbreaking bakers who are not allowed to be bakers you know that Mm -hmm. the more boxes that we put people in the more we're harming ourselves as a collective yeah i don't fit in a box yeah i'm not a square yeah i'm like a sphere (laughs) (laughs) i don't fit in edges we're blobs we're all blobs (laughs) Just a morphous blob. Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, and I really, you know, I think it's a complicated concept because it's, there are two things that you need to do. You need to get out of your box Mm -hmm. and you also need to make sure that you are not recreating patterns of like colonial oppression on other people that we're not saying, oh, well, now there's no categories and everyone is the same because, you know, there's a phrase, solidarity is for white women that... Mm. We like to say, okay, we have figured out what feminism should be. We have figured out the problem with gender. And so now we can export that everywhere. And that's no different than exporting any other cultural product that we've Mm -hmm. been doing for hundreds of years. And that as soon as we, as Western white people, as Mm -hmm. most of the, you know, feminist academic machine is in America that we're just recreating the same patterns that we mock in Dickens novels. You know, there's Mm -hmm. no difference between deciding what's right for Muslim feminists in Pakistan as a white lady in Colorado than sending off a box full of Bibles in English to Pakistan. You know, that it's it's (laughs) as blind and as ridiculous. Yeah. And how ignorant of us to show up somewhere and think our model's going to fit everywhere. Right. Like, here's our box. I hope it fits in yours. Yeah, we're and not that's, that's we're not, not the white wizards of feminism. <laughs> no. Yeah, and we I what's skillful is to show up and just listen. Yeah. And empower them and as you say like the best teaching classes you have is when the students run it. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's how we need to show up with others is like let them run it and kind of help yeah. facilitate or Yeah, I, I have actually right now my students are this week turned in their proposals for one of the I think that feminism and gender studies without action mm-hmm. is can be very fascinating and it can change your life personally but it's yeah. it's pretty meaningless if you are not doing the work by which I mean activism in any form, you know. And so one of the projects that I give my students is a service learning 
action project yeah. that is as broad as possible with very specific requirements. Like if mm-hmm. like very specific rubrics and then say anything that you can do that will satisfy these eight requirements, you can do. Yeah. And trying to broaden the perspective of what is activism, what is service mm-hmm. that, you know, we often think, all right, I need to be marching in a rally mm-hmm. or I need to be working at a domestic violence shelter. Mm-hmm. And that there's about 400,000 things that you could do that further the cause of gender justice in the world. And it could be art projects. It can be using your creative talents. It can be poetry. It can be, yeah, it can be Mm -hmm. physical labor in the garden of a home of, you know, the, the domestic violence shelter, or it could be data entry. You know, I try to give this really wide variety of options that sometimes we want our projects to be sexy and, that the first women's studies action project I did as an undergrad in college way back when, I really wanted to do something splashy and awesome, but I couldn't find anything that, Mm. you know, splashy and awesome (laughs) projects are hard to come by and they want to train you for a while, you know? Mm. And so I ended up just doing data entry Mm. for the Catholic Community Services Women's Shelter there. And it was really humbling it taught me a very important lesson about what is important that if you're in a similar way to teaching, I think maybe this taught me this lesson that if you're showing up for attention, you're showing up for people to love you, Mm. you're doing it wrong. And that we so often, especially the whole argument about marking yourself as an ally, as an identity, I'm an ally with whatever movement. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. As long as what you mean by ally ally is listening to and doing what they tell me, right? (laughs) That, Mm. that, we need to be working with and for marginalized populations and not at them. And far mm. too often we're working at groups yeah. that we would, you know, a student would come up with an action project that says, I'm going to go and do this thing for the domestic violence shelter. Yeah. But that's not what they need and it's not what they want. Yeah. And you're not helping. Yeah. You're creating more problems. And so part of the job, and I make, you know, I try to make really clear, part of this assignment, I want you to do the work, I want you to do the action, I want you to be involved, mm-hmm. but I want you to learn how to be effective mm-hmm. in planning the action. Yeah. That showing up and doing the thing, if you're mm-hmm. in the rally, that 500 hours of work went into preparing that rally, yep. and that you need to know how to do the non-sexy non-glorious mm-hmm. hard work of behind the scenes work for activism yeah. whatever that looks like wow yeah sounds like a lot of work it, yeah and and it's always fun mm-hmm. their projects are always surprising yeah and every time coming up with things that i never would have thought to do we have yeah. a student who's um this semester i have a student who's working on dance therapy in prisons mm. and i have a student who's working on i have three students who are, are doing an art project that's going to be sort of a oh what is it it's an art project <clears throat> slash performance art slash mm. social experiment slash I don't, i'm not even sure really what it is <laughs> and yeah. um that they're going to do on pearl street uh, next oh, month cool. and s- try to gauge some public yeah. reaction around gender categories yeah. and just so everyone knows pearl street's in boulder so yes. if you just happen <laughs> to be in boulder come on down the famous Pedestrian shopping district yeah. in Boulder. So we have like a minute, a couple of minutes left. I just want to just wanna ask you, is there anything interesting throughout your women's studies, history, searching, your podcast information that you go through? Anything interesting you want to leave us with that you found? Yeah. I think that the thing that's been, you know, we've been doing this podcast 
for six weeks officially airing, but really six months behind the scenes getting yeah. everything ready. Um, and the really steep learning curve of two humanities professors learning to audio <laughs> edit and yep. and record <laughs> and the mysteries of computer editing and, and uh-huh. all of these things. But really what I think has surprised me the most is how invested I've gotten in the lives of these women mm. that who've been dead for 400 years mm-hmm. and and I get really angry on their behalf or I mm. get really you know in some of the podcasts I think we've had people ask are these staged are you like setting up reactions and we're really not you know yeah. the idea is that one of us is telling we're interviewing r- amazing guests who mm-hmm. we've been really lucky to get yeah. incredible guests we have Carol Bash who is a documentary filmmaker who's mm-hmm. had a couple of documentaries on PBS and just mm. incredible we've had philosophy professors and authors we've had peter marshall who is kind of an academic giant in capital letters in in british history um and then we've had you know the the curator of the pearl de vere brothel museum in cripple creek colorado and so Mm. the wild variety of ways to tell these women's stories that we can be very academic we can be asking these very academic very well-known scholars and have a brilliant fascinating conversation yeah and then talk to a woman who has just spent her life trying to preserve the legacy of a famous madam Mm. and have a brilliant fascinating conversation and that that you know when we started we kind of laughed let's try to be all things to all people (laughs) because that's easy we we wanted it to be something that is academically viable you could use this in an undergrad class Mm -hmm. and that also that just regular people could enjoy this because yeah. you know there are a lot of academic history podcasts that I really enjoyed but that many people would be like I don't understand any of the jargon that's happening here <laughs> and so it's been nice to feel like we have struck that balance based on our reader responses which is nice our listener mm. responses yeah but really like the response that you'll hear from us you know when when we're so relieved or so angry or so happy yeah. that these women finally got what they wanted or mm. didn't get what they want or were just crushed by the machine yeah. that they come to life in a way that sounds really yeah. sort of... They really do come to life. Yeah, it podcast. sounds really, you know, oh, bring history it. to life. But yeah. that I feel like I know these women and it yeah. and it's heartbreaking and beautiful and mm. and it just reminds me how how much we're missing yeah. by by not knowing the stories of these women and, and by... um. I think one of my very favorite TED Talks that I use in every class is Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who is a Nigerian writer, and it's called The Danger of a Single Story. Mm-hmm. Everyone should go watch it. It's the best best TED Talk <laughs> ever. And I watch it like six times a year. And she talks about the, the problem with stereotypes is not that they're wrong, it's that they're incomplete. That yeah. as long as we only have one story about anything, if we have one story about mm-hmm. what Africa is, or we have one story about what the 16th yeah. century was. It's kind of like a rainbow with one color. Yeah, that, that you can't know something, you know, mm-hmm. and she uses this great example of someone reading one of her books and saying, it's so sad that Nigerian men all beat their wives because the character in this book beats his wife. Mm-hmm. And she says, you know, I read a book called American Psycho and it's so sad that all white American men are serial killers mm-hmm. and that it's so easy for us to not understand that we're generalizing the world, that our perspective is normal and everything else is, yeah. is you know, situated. Mm-hmm. But that the more stories we have from women, from all of history, the more we can understand mm-hmm. the context of 
the other stories that we do know, if we're only listening to the stories of George Washington and we're not listening to the stories of Martha and all of the women surrounding yeah. all of the figures, mm-hmm. and especially, you know, the, we call it what's her name because the idea is these are women that you should know but you don't, mm. that even in the context of women's history, we hear the same eight stories now. Yeah. We've like committed, yeah. we are going to hear about Marie Curie and we're going to hear about Harriet Tubman. And we're, and, yeah. but there's so many other people that we're not hearing. And that the more context you give to your knowledge, just the sort of better knower you yeah. can be. Yeah. Awesome. So. You, your passion just shines <laughs> through and it's so, it's Lack so yummy and good. Is never the yeah. problem. <laughs> and, uh, that's our time right now, but I feel like you and I can just kind of just go on forever. But I really appreciate you coming in. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And so that was Olivia Mickle. She's an adjunct faculty member in the Interdisciplinary Studies Program, teaching in the Gender and Women's Studies, and also running a podcast called What's Her Name? So please check that out. And thanks for speaking with us today. Sure, thank you. On behalf of the Naropa community, thank you for listening to Mindful You the official podcast of Naropa University. Check us out at www.naropa.edu or follow us on social media for more updates.